Hello, and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet, with me, your host, Connor Hamlety. Last week, we found ourselves on the battlement of a castle in Denmark, with three cold, nervous gentlemen keeping watch a little after midnight. Francisco has gone back inside out of the cold, leaving Bernardo to the watch. His colleague Marcellus has brought Horatio up here with him, and now we find out why. Nervously, Marcellus asks, What, has this thing appeared again tonight? I have seen nothing. This thing, this thing, this is, this is a pretty great way to build suspense. I have to say, this thing is a pretty great way to build suspense. We don't know what Marcellus is describing, or what he has seen. This thing. Of course, Bernardo is no help either. All he says is that he has seen nothing, no thing. But at least our attention is being aroused. Marcellus has some pretty tremendous lines throughout this act, by the way, including one of the most famous in the play that has certainly stayed in the public imagination ever since, but it'll probably be a few months before we get to that one. The play is starting slowly, nervously, in verse that is interrupted with half-lines and fragments. The rhythm between these characters standing up in the cold is jagged and uncertain, but they do speak in blank verse. Almost all of them plain, simple, ten-syllable lines. de dum de dum de dum de dum de dum Not least because, haha, <laughs> I'm going to be a tease this week. The most famous line in the entire play is in blank verse, but it's not in a normal rhythm. We'll definitely be talking about that. But, for now, Marcellus is just going to explain, in neat, clean blank verse, why he has brought Horatio up here with him, hoping to see this thing that is under discussion. Horatio says, "'Tis but our fantasy, and will not let belief take hold of him, touching this dreaded sight twice seen of us. Therefore I have entreated him along with us to watch the minutes of this night, that if again this apparition come, he may approve our eyes and speak to it. Shakespeare is really building up the tension here. A thing, a dreaded sight, an apparition. Horatio has been informed that this thing has already been spotted twice, but is convinced that it is just their imagination playing tricks on them. Horatio is the kind of doubting Thomas here, who will not believe without seeing things for himself. It's quite interesting that Shakespeare uses the word touching here, primarily as it scans more neatly than concerning this dreaded sight, but it's a clever reminder also of Thomas, the disciple, who refused to believe that Jesus was back from the dead until he was able to touch him. Physical evidence rather than hearsay is the big thing here. And of course the reference to someone coming back from the dead will become all the more understandable as we move along in this scene. But for now, Horatio, like the bowed Thomas, is not at all convinced. Tush, tush, twill not appear. Sit down a while, and let us once again assail your ears that are so fortified against our story what we have two nights seen. Bernardo is certainly not impressed at Horatio's disbelief, so he prepares to tell Horatio in full detail just what has been going on. Shakespeare is being very clever, but very subtle here. 
Bernardo wants to assail your ears. And this image of attacking someone via the ears will be very important and relevant throughout this play, particularly concerning this thing that he has seen not just once, but twice already. So Horatio agrees to listen. Well, sit thee down and let us hear Bernardo speak this. It's a little bit confusing to wonder how exactly they might sit down on the battlements. Surely it would have been inappropriate, in a martial world like Hamlet's Denmark, for watchmen just to sit down and have a chat. Perhaps Bernardo will stay standing, keeping the watch, while Horatio and Marcellus hunker down to listen. On a bare stage like that of the Globe, would it have been necessary to sit on a bench or something? Or maybe it would simply have been enough to have these listeners sit on the ground. It's funny that sitting is mentioned twice here, so clearly Shakespeare does want the men to relax and listen. And if you've ever watched a horror film, you know that when characters relax, they really, really shouldn't, because that is when things go bump in the night. Wherever they do choose to sit, Marcellus and Horatio are now ready to listen to Bernardo's description of what he's seen. This gears up to be something of a production number. Bernardo starts with astronomical references, but this isn't as fancy as first off it might appear. His job is, after all, to keep watch through the night, and if he's standing on the top of a castle in the dark, most likely what he's going to be seeing for most of his time is the stars in the sky. Shakespeare has references here to the pole star, which is of course an easy constant in Bernardo's sight, and, we believe, a supernova in the constellation Cassiopeia. This is seemingly a reference to the Danish astronomer Tycho Brahe, because he had discovered this new star in 1572 and even written a book about it. The discovery was an important milestone in his life and career, and clearly Shakespeare couldn't resist popping in a little reference to him, since this was surely the first time he'd ever created a Danish character who spent his time looking at the sky. Bernardo uses very beautiful language. The word illune that he uses appears nowhere else in all of Shakespeare, and clearly his speech is somewhat prepared. This man is ready to go. If he's going to go into the kind of detail he seems to be, Horatio is in for a rather long night. Our would-be astronomer begins. Last night, of all, when yon same star that's westward from the pole had made his course to illume that heart of heaven, where now it burns. Marcellus and myself, the bell then beating one. <gasps> but Shakespeare has more dramatic ideas. Before Bernardo can really warm to his theme and get going, Shakespeare interrupts him with the kind of brilliant stunt only possible in the theatre. He has laid careful groundwork, he has given us little clues as to what might be coming our way, and then, just when we are relaxing into the delicate language of a well-spoken character and listening to him, he pulls the rug out from under us. And for what this stunt entails, you'll have to join me next time. I have to say, I'm really thrilled that the first episode of this Hamlet podcast has been streamed over a hundred times in the past week. And indeed, very soon after it went live, we were approved in the iTunes store, so please, by all means, if you're enjoying it, share it and get the word out. And of course, you can also follow on Twitter, at Hamlet Podcast, where likewise, we've just crossed the 100 follower mark. Thanks so much for listening and for following and all that jazz. And I'll have another episode ready for you next Sunday. <laughs>